The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. my soul. Love that song. Thank you. Gilbert, we need to sing that one sometime congregationally. We'll get that in all five, four or five verses, I think it is. Uh, One of those, we'll do that. So thank you, Miss Meg, as always. As we come to uh, the new year, we're going to invite your attention back to Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four, as uh, we'll be continuing and picking up where uh, Dr. Branch, uh, Dr. Branch preached here three weeks ago. Uh, He preached lights out almost literally. He, uh, He got you going. And uh, he preached Mark chapter 5, so we're going to go back to Mark chapter 4. But guess what? You already went through Mark chapter 5, so we get to skip over that, if that's the right phrase, here in a couple weeks. So uh, we're kind of going in reverse, and it works, and I uh, appreciate that. Well, it is the first week back for many of you. Uh, we've been on holiday breaks. We've been on holiday stuff. It's good to be back. It's uh, weird to think we're already in 2018. Uh, maybe you're like me, and you've already written your checks wrong a couple times. You've had to erase them out and avoid them out, but God is good. Uh, next week, uh, Nelson Nisley will be preaching uh, starting the second Sunday of each month. We're going to have a different gentleman from our congregation preaching on a mark of a healthy church. And Nelson, who was just voted in last week as our pastor of uh, family discipleship and interim students, uh, pastor of students, will be preaching through what, why it's important that preaching is a mark of a church. M- many things you know, but a lot of things you need to be reminded of as well, myself included. But as you go to Mark chapter 4, we'll be in verses 21 through 35. We'll be looking at three quick parables this morning. But I want to ask you to be honest for a moment, and I think I can. We're a small crowd today, and it's okay. But are there times when God confuses you? Are there times when you look out and say, God, why this? Are there moments, perhaps, when if you were honest, you would have to say that you do struggle with doubt? Many of you really struggled with doubt after the Chiefs really let you down last night, and that's a whole other icing on the cake, but this is much more greater than that. Is there ever a time when it seems like you're doing something, though, in the name of God, whether that's praying for someone, sharing the gospel with someone, discipling someone, encouraging someone, but it appears to make little if no difference in that person's life? I think if we're honest, we've all been there before. And we should be because the scripture is honest about this. So honest, in fact, that it tells us these different things. Let me just give you two quick examples. Ones you know, but I think things that will come through. As I was looking through these parables, these two came to mind. One is of Elijah. You remember Elijah, that great prophet in 1 Kings 18? Uh, You remember the story. He had a stunning moment of victory. But then from the moment of victory, he went to great doubt. Elijah, of course, was contesting on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal. You remember this? Those guys are going cutting themselves and doing all these things to be heard. But, and they yelled and danced, and no fire came down. And Elijah just laughs at him. He mocks him in a sarcastic way. Maybe your God's going to the bathroom or something like that. And, uh, and then Elijah comes back and builds an altar and takes water, precious commodity, because it had been a drought. And he douses it three times and prayed a simple prayer. And you remember what happened? Fire came down. It consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and all the water as well. And you would think 
if it's a Hollywood story, the next great thing is all of Israel would fall down on their knees and say, whoa, that's an amazing God that you have there, Elijah. But that's not what happens. Queen Jezebel puts a contract out on Elijah's life, and you recall this. He says in 1 Kings 19.4, and you'll see it up on the screen, he said, but, O Lord, is it not enough now to take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He says elsewhere after that you've done, and after all the display of your glory, God, I'm the only one left standing. How is that fair, God, after all that just happened? And think about Moses. You remember dear Moses? You remember that guy at 80 years old? And if you hit 80, you still got some lease on life, I think, is the, the, the takeaway there. But in Numbers 11, he's leading this ragtag bunch of people, isn't he? The former slaves. And they're dissatisfied with the menu. They hate it. They don't like this thing called manna that God gave them. And, and it's a sign of God's love. And Jesus would say later that he's the bread that came down from heaven, pointing back to that manna. And they begin to think about Egypt. Oh, how great the bread was. Oh, my goodness, how great the fruit was. And oh, it was good fish and onions, and it cost us nothing. Really? It cost you your life. You were slaves in Egypt. I mean, it sounds more like a deli in Egypt than it did a place of slavery. And Moses is burdened by all this. He can't believe what's happening. And he prays this prayer. He says in Numbers 11.10, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of their tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly against them. And Moses goes on to pray, God, how could you ever put these, these crazy people in front of me? God, I don't want these people. You carry them. I'm not their God. You are. You, they say, give us meat, and I can't do this too much for me. Let's be honest. If you're Elijah, if you're Moses, life can be really confusing sometimes, can it, when you're a Christian? How can this really be? Life in the kingdom of God can be very, very confusing because it doesn't always work out the way you expect it to be. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in Mark chapter 3, guys. There are three little parables that are spoken by Jesus to point into the confusion and the question to these dear men and us who follow after Christ. Because like us, these men could not write their story ahead of time. Wouldn't it be great if you could just take God's sovereign hand and kind of write your own story? Man, that's actually kind of scary, because I don't know what I would end up writing for myself. But it really speaks to our confusion. And these three parables answer three questions. Will I ever understand it, God? Will I ever get why you do it this way? Does my work here really make a difference? And will this kingdom ever come? And that's the big idea today, guys. It's very straightforward. You're not God, and you will face mystery and confusion in your life. But remember this. God deals with neither. He just carefully plans everything out. Amen? That's what he does. God's never scratched his head and said, Oh, my goodness, it started to ice. What are we going to do with What are we going to do today? God never said, oh, the, the, the Chiefs had an 18-point halftime lead and they lost by one and the quarterback scored his own touchdown. I never knew that was going to happen. What am I going to do? God never goes there because God has it all planned out. There's so much mystery and confusion, but so much more rest to be found when we realize he's God, I'm not. And that helps us solve that doubt question that often comes up. Three things today we'll look at briefly, and I, I really mean it. These are pretty quick parables. Three truths about God's kingdom. First, the gospel makes the kingdom of God clear. Second, the gospel, the work of the gospel is ultimately God's. And finally, the gospel kingdom is God's coming, is coming, rather. I mean, think about these disciples. Think about how little they knew. We've been walking with them for almost a year now. Think about how confusing it was to watch 
These people follow Christ, and all of a sudden, Jesus is rejected by his family, and people are leaving. What happened to the crowd? Where are they at? To know that the Pharisees have now set themselves to destroy them. These disciples have no idea where the story is going. They don't have any idea that the one they are following is the lamb who will give his life. They could not have figured it out. They could never have thought such a thing. This was only part of God's plan. With that in mind, if you'll join me, if you're able this morning, we stand for the reading of God's word. 14 verses, 13 verses this morning. Mark chapter 4. Answering this question, God, can you ever get it all figured out? It's a great, great question. As always, be reading for the ESV Bible. It says this. It says in verse 21, And he said to them, Jesus, he is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a be- under a bed and put on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Isn't that the prayer of every parent? Amen. <laughs> and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more added to you. For the one who has more will be given. For the one who has not, even that it will be taken away. Verse 26, and Jesus said, the kingdom of God is, is if a man should scatter seed on the ground, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how, but the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he points, it puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And verse 30, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With, so, with many parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but explained privately in his own disciples to them everything. May God bless the reading of his word. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we come before these three short parables, we are asking that big question. Father, because honestly, there are times when we look around as often as these characters in these parables did and said, God, where are you? What are you up to? Is my work really meaningful? And God, are you really going to fulfill the promise about what you said? Father, encourage our hearts today on this cold, uh, sort of icy morning. Father, in a new year, remind us of these truths today, we pray. Give us wisdom and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper as we will take partake in just a little bit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you. Well, you see it here in verse 21 as, as, as is brought forth that this parable, is, these are very clear parables. Uh, and I was joking with Judy this week that I had a sermon for each one of these, but I think they're so straightforward that we can make it work as it is. So first, the gospel makes the kingdom of God clear. Look back at verse 21. You'll notice there that Jesus is actually using this parable and talking about himself. Really is what he's doing. He's talking about something that's initiated in his coming. He's kind of being a little prophetic. And he's kind of being a little obvious, too. Look back at verse 21. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, duh, Jesus. No one does that. But what is he getting at here? Well, God has sent, if you would, his lamp into the world. God has sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, the word of God, so that in Jesus all the hidden things of treasures of wisdom and knowledge might be revealed. That is what he's referring to himself here. This is the light of the world, and he's saying to his disciples, he's telling them, guys, would it make any sense 
if God sent forth the ultimate light of lights to keep him all covered up. And then he says this, and it's very, it's very provoking, in fact. He says, for nothing is hidden, Mark 4.24, that is to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. It's a great promise for us, guys, because that is God promising that the beginning of revelation of the gospel and all the work until the truths have been revealed will come forth. God's going to keep his word. That's what he's telling him. God, you are going to be keeping your word. And this is a picture of the Holy Spirit that was to come. Remember when Jesus was at the end of his life facing his disciples, he said, there are many more things I want to tell you. But you remember what he told them? He told the disciples, look, that you need to know, but you're not able to bear them. But I will send you another teacher, John 15, and that, of course, being the Holy Spirit. And that was a promise that they would understand the gospel itself. You know, it's striking as we apply this that this is why we have Romans all the way to Revelation. Because those books fulfill the promise that that lamp brought truth in and began to teach us the deep mysteries of the gospel. What a beautiful thing. And the Spirit here is pictured in this parable, the Spirit of Christ. It still operates and teaches us today, doesn't he? And God will not relent until all his work is done in this world. The Holy Spirit will teach and teach and teach and teach. And he will come to unfold the mysteries. And there will be a day when it all comes on like a light bulb. But how do we respond to this? What is our call here now to do this? You notice what he said there. Again, a parent's prayer. Look back at verse, uh, look back here at verses 24 uh, and 25, or 23 and 24. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus double says it, just like a good parent would. Pay attention to what you hear. It's like when your kids, you, you tell your kid to go get something, and then you say, no, your voice changes. You say, no, really, go get that thing. That's what you're trying to do. And Jesus is telling them that time and time again, this has been the theme in Mark, that it is faith that is an active faith. You grab hold of the understanding you have now. You live according to what God has given you now. And as I do that, God continues to mature me, and God continues to grow me. And that's what we know. And to the one who uses it, more will be given. To the one who listens, more truth will be given. But the one who does not listen, it will be taken away. The light will shine until we know and understand the rest. So what is, what is the application point here? It's very straightforward. When the message of the gospel is clear, moral, religious people tend to dislike it. But irreligious people are intrigued and attracted to it. You ever notice that before? That sometimes when you share the gospel or you live out the gospel, that it's the people that are just church going, that really aren't saved, just warm the pews, they don't know anything about Christ other than just a few simple rules, that when the gospel is really preached, they're the ones that say, no, that's not going to happen here. But it's these weird folks out here that no one seems to want to care about, the folks that are disenfranchised, down on the luck, whatever it is, that are the ones that are like, oh my goodness, yes, I want this. I want more of this. Give it to me. And isn't that what happened in Mark? That when Jesus preached, it was the Pharisees who said, no, that's not what we do around here, Jesus. Haven't you read our books? But it was the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who would never, ever be accepted anywhere else that found the gospel to be true. And friends, that is everything that happens. The gospel makes the kingdom of God clear. I am grateful as a church that one of the key trademarks of a church we hear time and time again from people inside 
who visit, outside who visit, who say, man, that church loves people. Praise God for that. Thank you for your welcoming faithfulness to people of every stripe, of everything. Because it's not about us. Whether you've been burned by church, burned by a pastor, burned by the Bible, so to speak, you've, been, you've just been laid low by in the name of Christ, whatever it is, you find refuge here. Thank you for that. That's what our church is called to do. And what he is saying is that the light will shine until we know and understand and rest, and this gospel will be made clear. It is clear. That's why there are no atheists. You ever heard that before? Someone comes up to you and says, I don't believe in God. That is the biggest lie they could ever tell you. Why? Because the Bible says that, that, that God says that he who says there is no God is a fool. Because God has already put it within us enough to know the truth between right and wrong, and we have to respond as God opens our hearts as he did Lydia in Acts 16 to respond to that. Our prayer, guys, this year should be, Father, make the gospel clear among us, make it real among us, and make it dear to us. And when we do that, that is what Christ is having here. But you know, being married is like having a best friend who doesn't remember anything you say. You ever thought that before? That's kind of what Jesus had in mind here. There's a story of a husband and a wife who were at a party chatting, and some friends on the subject of marriage counseling came up. Uh, they were just telling him about how they were going to counseling, and, and uh, the husband said, oh, we never need that. My wife and I have a wonderful relationship. We're the picture-perfect marriage. She was a communication major in college. I was in theater. She communicates well, and I act like I'm listening pretty well, too. And that's kind of how it all comes to be. That's not what Jesus had in mind here, is it? When he reminds us and says, if you have ears, listen. If you pay attention, what he's telling us is the gospel is here. It's clear. It's all we need. That's what we rest our lives upon. Maybe you can take that to your marriage counseling later and laugh about it, but that is what it is. Secondly, I want you to see that not only does the gospel make the kingdom of God clear, but the work of the gospel is ultimately God's. Look back at verse 26 at the parable here. Verse 26. Uh, it's cold outside. It's not springtime. This is a great reminder that spring's in 77 days, guys. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that comes quicker rather than uh, later. But here it is, the second parable, and it says about the growing seed. Let's just read it again together. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises at night and during the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This parable, the second parable, is really about knowing your place. Really about sometimes when you doubt how God is using you or, or, or the church or the church universal, it's about knowing our place. It, I'm reminded as I, as I share the, the, the truth of this about a time when I was a kid we were clearing out an area to plant in our backyard in Plattsburgh. And uh, I remember the day, I, I don't remember how old I was, but we dropped little green bean seeds along the row. You know, you did that with your kids, your grandkids. And uh, we covered it up with soil. We watered it. And I remember my mom telling us that someday we'd have a harvest of green beans. And I woke up the next day. You know, you know how this is. You wake up the next day, and you, I got up before breakfast. She was out walking. I remember this very clearly. And I ran out to harvest the green beans. And I were amazed. There were no green beans. Where'd they go? I watered them. 
I gave them soil. I gave them everything. And I, I don't know which one, I don't know if it was my mom or my dad, but I remember one of them, I, I just went up to him and I said, it didn't work. You lied to me. What's going on? And my mom, being so sweet, reminded me that's not quite how it works. That's what Jesus is doing here before us. He's reminding us that we are, how the kingdom of God works. We have little children garden mentality sometimes when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're like that little Darren was, perhaps you were, and thinking, boy, I, I, I did this, so let's see the instant results right now. And it doesn't happen. And we get frustrated. But we want the process of the gospel to be an event. We want it to happen right now. We want it to happen right away. I, someone in our Sunday school class said that, you know, Abraham waited until he's 100 years old to have a kid. And we were kidding with Jack in the back. We said, Jack, you're 90. You've got to wait 10 more years, brother, before they hit that mark. He said, 10 years? Said, yeah, you're going to hang around for 10 more years, right? That's how it is. Cause we, it's hard, cause we, especially in this culture. Or you struggle with that as a husband and a wife. You struggle with that as your, with your children, don't you? Your grandchildren. You struggle with that as you share the gospel with somebody. You struggle with that as you look at the church, both local and across the world. We wonder, is, is this work really having any effect? Is it really doing anything? And the temptation is, is to get a hold of it. It's to try and manipulate the results. You know, if it's not working, just take, it, take the bull by the horns and do it yourself. You know, Pastor, maybe we should dig up those beans and just massage them a little bit. Give them a little bit of help. Let's help God out a little bit. Let's try that and see if it works. Or, or, or maybe we just need to put a little bit more water, 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 and hope for the best. I remember doing that for my former pastor, Willie Davis. Uh, they were gone on vacation. It's been five years ago, right before Simeon was born. And uh, I watered and I watered and I watered and I watered. They had a beautiful garden, but a week later it all died out because I drowned it out. So praise the Lord. You know, uh, I, 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 I was in his office for other things, but I got an earful about that and other things. There's a tendency in the church today to be result-centered. And please hear me, that it's not all bad to count numbers, but... Maybe we need something, we say, to attract people to the gospel. Maybe we need to instill uh, more fear and more guilt. Uh, uh, Pastor, if you just preach more hellfire and brimstone and, and banged your Bible, wipe the sweat off, people would come to Christ. Maybe if the gospel could be given by a famous person, maybe if we got the dream team in here or the strength team and they bend bars around their heads, people will hear the gospel. Maybe they will, and they should. Maybe cooler music, maybe older music, maybe somewhere in between music, maybe whatever, fill in the blank. And in all that, as I said at the beginning of this parable, we're forgetting our place. The gospel of the kingdom is God's work. Here is our place. We are to plant. And what is here is said about the farmer is really humbling. Did you see what it said? Look back at this. This is what it said about the farmer. The guy who does this professionally... He sleeps, and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts, but he knows not how. This farmer, the one who is tasked with the job to get food, doesn't quite understand how it gets. Guys, what a great reminder for us this morning as we look in 2018 at our church and beyond, and every church and every mission, that God's sovereignty is the fuel for our faithfulness. And you'll see this up there. Not a deterrent to hard work, not a sacrifice, but the best motivation for it. Do you, does that make sense? That God is the one who once we planted a seed, our job is done. 
We don't have to get out the, the, the green bean seeds, so to speak, of the gospel and massage them and sing to them and, and do all these great things. Let God do his work. Why is it sometimes that someone will respond and another person right next to you won't respond to the gospel? Why is it that some people grow so rapidly and others seem to grow so slowly? Why is it that some churches seem to explode with growth and others and others remain about the same? Faithful, but about the same. These are the mysteries of the kingdom of God, guys. That is looking at the soil and wondering and so very important that we know our place. Here is our place as Christians. Whether you're father, grandfather, mother, grandmother, widow, widower, whatever, plant the beans of the gospel. Plant them. Use them faithfully. And God will grow the harvest. We don't carry the harvest on our shoulders. Amen? Parents, hear this. You have no capacity to change or produce belief in your children. None whatsoever. We know that, don't we? Brothers and sisters, we can't argue someone into heaven. I remember at, at our former church, a lady, uh, visiting lady who was no longer part of the church, uh, came into my office one day. I was youth pastor there. And she said, in a moment of anger, and it scared me half to death, she said this. I remember very clearly. She said, if this is the last thing I'll ever do, I will get my children to believe the gospel. What do you say to that person? I, in my head, I said, oh, my. Because I thought, and maybe this is not a healthy thought, but I thought I wouldn't want to be one of your children. <laughs> Why? Because we must know our place. Because if we don't, we will do things that distort the very seeds of the gospel. We must know our place. We plant the seed. We share the seed. We faithfully testify to Christ. But we don't know how it grows. The earth produces it by itself. The work is important, but the harvest belongs to the Lord. The harvest belongs to the Lord. Now, we don't want to make that rookie mistake, because a lot of people have. Kind of like the, uh, this picture you'll see up there. Here's three rookie mistakes, right? Uh, what, what are you doing? You're going off the cliff. How about this rookie mistake? When a drum major tossed his baton in Ventura, California a couple years ago, it caused a five-mile radius blackout because he hit a transformer when his drum major stick went all the way up. Went Oops, rookie mistake. Don't throw your drumstick. Or how about the bank robber in Los Angeles a few years ago who told the clerk not to give him cash, but here, here's my account number. Can you please put it in my bank account? <laughs> or on his first assignment for a Chicago newspaper back in the 80s, a rookie reporter drove a company car to a car-crushing plant, parked it in the wrong spot, and returned from interviewing the manager just in time to see the company car being compacted into scrap metal. Oops. Let's not make the rookie mistake. Guys, the gospel tells us that we are to be faithful to share, but to leave the results to God. And how you share that, how you understand that principle will transform how you lead a church, how you are part of a church, and how you live your Christian life. John Moody, I see you over there. Brother, you're going to be preaching on evangelism in uh, May. seems like a long time away. Second, second uh, Sunday in May, John will be preaching through a mark of a healthy church evangelism. It's not about our conniving, it's about God's working that he only is able to do the saving. All right, last one. You ready? So the gospel makes the kingdom of God clear. The work of gospel is ultimately God's, but I want to encourage you with this as we close. Thirdly, that the gospel kingdom is coming. The gospel kingdom is coming. Look back at this third little parable here. Uh, verse 30. You'll turn back that way. Let me read it for us again. It says, And Jesus said to them, With what we can compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. 
Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out the large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You know, the disciples are hearing the message of the kingdom of God were convinced that the final kingdom was right around the corner, weren't they? You get that from their conversations. They, they would struggle with the smallness of their group. I mean, God, really, are you going to use just us to overthrow the Romans or to bring back the kingdom? Because this wasn't as great number of followers of Christ. They looked around and said, where is everybody? But remember, the crowd was after Christ because they wanted the miracles. You remember that, don't you? God would heal someone, or Jesus would heal someone, and the, the crowds would come, and, and then he'd preach a hard truth to them, and they'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want that hard truth. We just want, we want this stuff. We don't want that stuff. Just give us the goods. Leave the lecture for later, Jesus. Go home and preach to yourself. They were astonished by his power, but when the gospel teaching would get hard, they'd melt away. And it was tempting as a disciple to think, is this it? Is this the power of God? I mean, uh, is this going to be everything? And maybe you felt that way. I mean, let's be honest. Our, our, our country's not the same as it was even 10 years ago. I'm not trying to go back to some special place in America. I'm just saying our culture has changed. Lest we forget three years ago that the definition of marriage was changed in June 2015. How easy that is just seeped into our culture. If you were to look around KC, if you watch the television, listen to you new, the news, you've you got to think, it, does it look like the kingdom of God is expanding? I mean, really? Church attendance is down across the board uh, in the deep south, in the midwest, everywhere. There's, there's pockets of growth here, but really you're seeing just less and less people come to church. And you look around and say, is it just us? I mean, God, where is everybody? This little band of people? It's like Jesus says to us as he does in this parable. Let me tell you something. Out of a small band of followers is going to come a kingdom that will spread from pole to pole that will transform the world as we know it. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, whether under the earth or above the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He tells these disciples through this parable that this kingdom is not going to be a little kingdom. It's a big kingdom. And that, like that little mustard seed that grows in a big bush, this little band of followers, like this little seed of faith, will bring the gospel to the entire world. Let my kingdom come. And he tells them, you can't estimate the numbers of people that will know me. That's one of the greatest encouragements that we have from Revelation, that every nation, every tongue, and every tribe will come to know Jesus. I am waiting to see who's going to go to the headhunting islands off India. There's a little island out there that they literally are just, they've lived in isolation for hundreds of years. They're headhunters. They literally will chop off your head. Who's going to take the gospel to them? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to seeing that whole tribe come to Jesus someday by God's grace. Amen? God's hunting their heads, so to speak, and the gospel is going to get there someday. But he tells them, look, you can't understand the kingdom to come by looking at this little sea because out of this little sea will come a company of faith more than you can ever imagine. Friends, and Adam will put this up, but better to have a small faith in a great God than a great faith in a small God. Why? Because a great faith in a small God is something that you well up, I well up, but as Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Think about that one for a second. What is this parable about? It's about patience. It's about perseverance. Because Jesus is saying, my kingdom will come. My will will be done. It, you have to be faithful. You have to be patient. You have to persevere. And then at the very end, he gives some editorial comments there in verse 34, 33. He says, 
with many parables, Jesus spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples, he explained everything. The parables really shifted the crowd. I mean, can this really be? This would blind the eyes of those who didn't believe, but it put deep questions in those who did. Will you ever understand? Yes, you will. There will be a day when you look back and you say, God, I understand your plan. I understand your purpose. It all makes sense to me now. John, I wasn't planning on putting this in here, but uh, John and Kim came over for lunch yesterday, uh, and John mentioned he looked around our house and he said, guys, I don't see any soot on your house. (laughs) If you remember back two years, uh, uh, someone in our household, I'm not sure who that was, took a shop vac without a filter on and started blowing that shop vac, and it blew a big cloud of dust all over our house. And we live in that house almost every day. There's, there's things on the walls from our kids, bless them. But there's not n- any soot. And I remember thinking that same day when we just moved in this house, everything's going crazy and thinking, Lord, what is your plan out of all this? I don't know what the plan was, but it sure taught me that uh, I about had a heart attack and he still saved me. That's about what it was. But God is good. And you may look out over your life. You may look out over the ministry that you have. You may look out over all the things And you may ask that question, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to follow this Jesus? And with everything in your being, God, through his Holy Spirit, will impress upon your spirit in your heart and testify to your spirit and say with a resounding, yes, yes it is. But we can't have a gospel event mentality as we do that. Because you are planting seeds as am I and the might The minute you plant the seed of the gospel, your work is done, and you must trust that God, through patient perseverance, will bring it to fruition. Out of a little, unremarkable group of people, God is at work in transforming, restoring, renewing his world, and his kingdom will come. Church, can I encourage us to be patient? Can I encourage us to persevere? Can I encourage us to pray, God, your will be done? And he will bring that to close. Let me close with this illustration, and I think it'll speak volumes of this parable as we do. At one time, Mr. P.T. Barnum, that name may sound familiar to you. They, I think they're closing this up. Barnum and Bailey Circuses, I believe, are going closed here. Uh, they're going bankrupt or something like that. I don't know. But Barnum and Bailey Circus invited the great English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon of London, to speak in one of his large traveling circus tents. Sounds like a good deal. And he made every concession Barnum did to make the offer attractive to Spurgeon. Barnum would put up the musical talent, um, unless Spurgeon wanted to do his own. He would provide any equipment or manpower Spurgeon wanted to to speak. And and, and he could speak as long or as short as he wanted. He could say, amen, and life is good. Just come and speak for us, Spurgeon. We just want you to come and speak. But there's only one basic stipulation. Oh, there always is, isn't there? That Barnum Circus would take the gate receipts and pay themselves and pay Mr. Spurgeon a great, attractive price for coming to speak. And this was a generous offer. $1,000 per lecture. It would be about $10,000 in today to come speak as long as you want. Even one word, Spurgeon, just come. And many would look at it and doubtless say, what a wonderful opportunity to reach people for the gospel. And knowing it would be wrong to join hands with the world, this is what, and this is true archive history, Spurgeon wrote to Mr. Barnum. He said, Dear Mr. Barnum, thank you for your kind invitation to lecture in your circus tents. (laughs) He just loved that. You will find my answer in Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. 
Sincerely, very sincerely yours, Charles H. Spurgeon. You ready for Acts chapter 13 and verse 10? If Mr. Varnum looked it up, he found these words. O oh, you full of subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to prevent the ways of the Lord? I think Mr. Barnum got the message loud and clear, didn't he? Church, we don't need to unite with the world in ways, and that's not necessarily all bad, but I, I just want you to hear that as this kingdom grows, it'll be by the clear light of the gospel, it'll be because God has been working, and it'll be because he promised he would grow those seeds. Be faithful this year. You never know what harvest God will bring in your life. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for the gospel word this morning. Father, as our church looks forward to, to ministry this year and many years beyond until you call us home or, or you return or, or, or whatever it may be, Father, we pray that these words are true in our lives. Father, we pray that we understand that the gospel has been already fully uh, been made clear in Christ. Yes, Lord, there's a chasing after that. We'll never plumb the depths of it. But, Father, the simple message, as the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved is that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, but also we realize that with that, in our, in our attempts to Christianize people, whatever that may mean, evangelize people, that we may take things into our own hands. Father, let us be bold. Let us be faithful. Let us be resolute. Let us be humble. Let us be uh, just always ready to give an answer, as it says in Peter. But let us remember that it's your work ultimately. You are the sovereign one. We are simply your messenger ambassadors, wherever you call us to be whether that's in the workplace with people who cuss all the time, whether that's at the store, in our neighborhood, uh, Father, in our, wherever you call us, our family, Father, we pray for faithfulness. But Father, we also know that your kingdom is coming again. And what great joy that is to know that our work is not in vain, that someday we will lay it all at your feet, yes. But Father, you will review that work. And Father, we pray we are found this year as faithful servants, so we can hear that phrase, not for our glory, not for our pat on the back or fishing for comments. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, may that be our prayer for our church. May that be our prayer for every family here who calls upon your name. May that be the prayer for every Christian here as well. Father, thank you for these dear saints. You know our family loves them dearly, how much more you do. Father, prepare our hearts as we sing and take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.